Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Jericho Crazy Faith. And we're in Joshua 6, 6-14. And speaking of crazy faith, uh, I'm holding a crazy faith thing uh, right here, baby Laurel. Uh, you never know what God might call us to do. You might be thinking, I'm just going to be, you know, the kids are out and I'm going to just relax and enjoy myself and watch TV and whatever. Uh, but as we heard from this morning, Bethana Ministries, uh, God may call some of us to foster or adopt or who knows what, right? And uh, I want to encourage you, and that's why I'm bringing little baby Laurel, even though we're tired, Kim and I are very tired, uh, it's still a blessing. We went and trade the sleep for, for the baby anytime. It's been a real blessing, and I want to encourage each of you to really pray about that. Katie will be at the back table afterward and talk to her. You heard all the different levels of ways, that whether it's an emergency help or longer-term help or adoption. There's a lot, a lot of things we can do, and you never know how God will call you, all right? So uh, I need Emily to come in. Uh, the kids can head out to Children's Church, okay? Follow the baby out. So that's my best commercial for, for Bethana Ministries. And, uh, and doing something crazy. Now, we saw God's crazy command last week. We're talking about Jericho and the crazy command. And now we're going to see crazy faith. Not only does God give us a crazy command, but he asks us to have crazy faith in response. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for getting us all here this morning. That probably was crazy enough for half of us. But Lord, we just pray for your mercy and grace now to speak through us through your word and to encourage us, no matter what we're going through, no matter what it took to get here this morning, that you would encourage us through your word and and, and strengthen our faith through your mercy and grace. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll pick it up here in Joshua 6, verse 6. And let's see. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry or raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and they spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed guards, armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. <laughs> if you missed last week, 
you know, grab the CD or go on the podcast, YouTube, because uh, it all flows together here. There's some battle lessons. There's three tests. We just saw the crazy thing God commanded them to do last week. But this week, we're going to look at battle lessons. And these aren't something you would learn at West Point. So all the guys in the military probably were never taught any of these things. Uh, there's three tests, and they're really for us today because we, this is all about us. Them taking land is us fighting for our spiritual promises. They had a promised land, but we have spiritual promises. They had a physical land, we have a spiritual land that we're battling for. And this is all about us. This is all lessons for us. And there's three different tests that God, give, that Joshua gave the people and that Jesus gives us today. We'll start with the first one. Test number one is in verse 6. He says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have the seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. I'll read verse 7 too. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guards going ahead of the ark of the Lord. So the first test is faith. The first test is faith. Why this was a real test of faith? First of all, he told them to march around the city. Then go home. March around the city, then go home. Six straight days. But even a bigger reason that this was a test of faith for them was what was, he, what was left out of the instructions that God gave to Joshua, that Joshua did not give to the people? What was left out? Anybody ever catch that? He didn't tell them the walls were going to fall. He told Joshua the walls were going to fall. But Joshua, when he gives the instructions, he doesn't tell them that. He doesn't give them the promise. He doesn't tell them that the walls are going to fall down. He just says to march. And that's why it's even a bigger test of faith, not just to walk around and go home, which had to be hard, but then to also not be told what was going to happen. He, they don't find that out until later in the story. Don't miss next week, all right? And that's why it was even bigger. God rarely tells us the rest of the story. Rarely tells us that until after we obey in faith. What do we like? We like all of our ducks in the row, right? We like to know everything that's going to happen. And God will show us the whole staircase, but God says, no, take one step. Take one step up one step, and then the next one shows up after that. God doesn't give us step after step after step. He just says, take this step today, this step of faith today. And then, the, then tomorrow we get the next step of faith, and then the next one. And it's probably good he doesn't show us all the steps because it would be a lot of steps up, you know. It's like walking up the top of, you know, you know, a real tall skyscraper there, right? And that's probably why he doesn't show us is because we probably would uh, not take that first step. But, but God, he, he rarely tells us until we take that next step, then he gives us the next step. That's how God works. That's how his work, word works. That's what Joshua is teaching us here. Think of salvation, when, think of you when, you when many of you have put your faith in Christ. Some are still search, seeking and searching super. Keep coming. But remember when a lot of us, when we put our faith in Jesus, we took that step of faith. We said, God, I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I ask you to forgive my sin and I put my faith in Jesus. Remember that, that you took that step of faith? There was a lot of questions that we had, right? Even though we were taking that step of faith, there were a lot of things we couldn't understand. What is all this in the Bible and all these I don't understand a lot of things and I have a lot of tough questions, but it's only after we put our faith in Jesus, in spite of those doubts and questions, then and only then do we receive the Holy Spirit and the light bulbs go on, the spotlight goes on, right? And all of a sudden, 
So many things that didn't make sense just come alive. The Bible comes alive. So many things that we wrestled with that we, we can trust God with, it just we, we see God, how God works that way. That once we put our faith in Christ, then it starts to make sense. John 8, 31, when Jesus says to the disciples, he said, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The first step is putting our faith in Christ. The first step is holding to Jesus' teachings. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Same with trials. Only after we go through the trials obediently do we see God's reason for that trial, right? So many times we're in the middle of a trial, but we have to go through it first before we can look and see what God was trying to accomplish in our life. And sometimes we have to wait for heaven. Remember Job? (laughs) Talk about trials. All that he went through. All that he went through. And yet, there were a lot of questions God didn't answer. In the end, he said, Job, you're just a human. Shut up. That's what he said. And what did Job say? I'm just a human. I'm going to shut my mouth. You know? And Because it's, some things are too much for us to even understand. We have to wait till we get to heaven to understand those. But the key is to keep taking these steps of faith and trusting God. God does not guarantee success. God doesn't guarantee blessings. He doesn't guarantee fruit. He just says, be faithful. Be faithful. That's all he says. Be faithful. This test number two, verse 10. Back in Joshua 6. Test number two is the patience test. Look at verse 10. Where he says, But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. He says, keep your mouth shut until I tell you to open them. That's what he's telling them. Joshua told the people that. And this is really hard because what do we want to do when we're going through a test? What do we want to do when we're marching around that wall over and over again? What do we want to do? We want to complain. We want to tell somebody. We want to tell God how we're upset, right? That's what we want to do. So being quiet was a test of obedience and and really developing their patience. And it's magnified by the fact that they weren't even told what was going to happen. He didn't even tell them why they were marching. They just knew they had to march. They weren't even told why. And wasn't it crazy? I mean, think about it. It reminds you of being in the Marines, huh? Some of our some of our Marines here, you know, just you know, just march and shut up and don't you know, don't ask why. Just do it. You just got to obey, right? All the Marines here know what I'm talking about. It's like being in the spiritual Marines here. But God, just like the Marines, they're trying to break you and make you into a Marine. God is trying to break us. He's trying to humble us because our first response when we're going through a a, a trial. Our first response when we're going through a hard time is, what does the flesh want to do? It wants to fight. It wants to complain. It wants to defend ourselves. You know, we want to defend ourselves when we're going through those, those trials. But Jesus set us a great example when we're going through these kind of trials. In 1 Peter, 1, 1 Peter 2, 23, he says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he... He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't say anything. Now, there were times then he did speak up. 
But when he was being beaten and going through all that, he didn't say anything. He trusted himself to God. He waited for God's time to speak. And look what he said on the cross. The the famous seven sayings on the cross when he finally did speak, ending, ending with, it is finished. It's vital to wait for God's permission to open our mouths. Whether it's witnessing to someone, there's someone you really want to share their faith with, there's a time that we're supposed to witness and a time not to. If, if we share in the flesh, if we share just because we want to do it, we can do more damage than good, can't we? But we wait for God's open door, his perfect time. We, we put out the hooks. You know, we, you know, it's like fishing. You throw out the hook. We're constantly throwing out hooks, right? But you have to wait till they bite before you reel it in. You have to wait for God's opening and God's timing. Same with ministry. You're ministering to someone. There's a time to, to say certain things because you can do more harm than good. Waiting for God's time prophetically. Speaking up. There's so much going on in this country. Don't you a lot of times want to just speak up? And, and we should when God gives us that door. But we have to wait and pray and make sure God's giving us the words to say. It's got to be in the spirit. Very, very important. Thank you, Elijah. Elijah standing against Baal. But where did God have him? He had him in that little brook for all that time, just sitting next to a brook. And then he sticks him in with a widow, a starving widow. And all this time he couldn't say anything, just waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally, after three and a half years, God calls him to Mount Carmel to call down fire. Waiting for God's timing. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when we're walking around that wall and not saying something. It's hard when our spouse isn't responding. It's hard when our kids aren't listening. It's hard when, you know, all we see happening in this country, it's hard not to lash out in the flesh. Do we, should we speak? Yeah, we better speak the truth in love. We're salt and light, but it has to be in the spirit. Very, very important. It has to be after God has taught us to, to our, the, the faith test and taught us the patience test. And then the third test is in verse 11. Let's see if you can guess this one. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to the camp and spent the night there. What do you think he's teaching them here? What's that? Obeying, right, obeying and persevering in their obedience. It's, it's a definitely an obedience test, but I'm going to give another P here. But persevering in our obedience. Notice the prominence of the ark. Every time you read this, it's, here's the ark, there's the ark, there's the ark. What does the ark represent? It represents the work of Christ, but it also represents the presence of Christ. And if we're going to go through these tests, the vital to passing these three tests is the presence of Christ, having Christ, a close relationship and close communion with him. Very, very important. So perseverance, obeying and, and, and persevering. And what happened? What happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Verses 12 to 14. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. What happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Right? wrong something did happen what happened 
They were obedient. They were obedient. Obedient. They developed their faith and patience and perseverance because they were obedient. Something did happen. Did you ever feel like you were faithful and nothing happened? Maybe you voted for a candidate and they lost. Was that a wasted vote? Maybe you were, somebody was sick or even you were sick, but you, you prayed for somebody and they, they're still sick or, or they, they died even. Were, were our prayers wasted? You raised your kids and, and one of them rebelled and became a prodigal. Was all that love wasted? You helped someone who was struggling with drugs or alcohol with an addiction and they were doing great and all of a sudden they fell back and they really crashed. Was, was, all, was all that time wasted? You witnessed to somebody and, and, the, and you've been witnessing to them and sharing your faith and trying to share the love of Christ and, and you love this person so much but they still haven't put their faith in Christ. Maybe they never did. Maybe they even died without us knowing whether they put their faith, their faith in Christ or not. What, was, was that wasted breath? Maybe in ministry you haven't seen the, and no, very little fruit, very little results. Was all of our effort wasted? Well, nothing happened, right? Nothing happened, so was it wasted? Wrong. Wrong. Yes, something did happen. Something did happen. We were obedient. We were faithful. We did what God called us to do. And in that time, God developed our faith and our patience and our perseverance. Something did happen. Something is happening. It's happening. I just finished a book on Valley Forge. A lot of you have visited Valley Forge over here. And, and I just unbelievable story. These thousands of soldiers in the freezing cold without enough to eat. They were starving. They were dying. A huge number of thousands died. Horrible deaths out there. Was it? Seemed senseless at the time. I mean, here were the, the British sitting in Philadelphia partying and living it up and getting fat and lazy, right? And yet, that army in Valley Forge was forged. Perfect name, forged. They were, they were, they, von Steuben drilled them and they, they were toughened. They were a lean, mean fighting machine when they came out of there. And they took on the British a short time later and won their first toe-to-toe fight with the British elite right after that. And that was the start of winning the war. It still took years, but that was the beginning of the end of the war. Will we keep marching faithfully? Will we persevere? Many people faithfully march around walls in obscurity and never see much happen. There are Christians in prisons all over the world for their faith, being persecuted and killed, and we'll never hear of them. I mean, Voice of the Martyrs and Open Door Ministries get the names to us so we can be praying. I hope you're praying for someone. But, but most of them... Think what they must feel like. 
They're going to spend their lives in these prisons and, and not seeing much happen. And But a lot is happening. In Hebrews 11, you want some encouragement? Hebrews 11, 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Doesn't that sound great? It's great to be a Christian, isn't it? Uh, let's, let's go a little further now here. Verse 35. Uh-oh. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. That doesn't sound like much fun, does it? Sounds senseless to the world. Didn't they, did they not have enough faith? That's what the word of faith teachers teach. They just don't have enough faith. Otherwise, they'd be blessed. Listen to what God's word says. Verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them had received what had been promised. God had planned something better for them so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The people being... who didn't see the promises fulfilled were still commended. For their faith. They're still going to see that promise fulfilled. That's vital to remember. A lot is happening. Even when it seems like nothing's happening, a lot is happening. I think of Africa, and at one point Africa was no Christians. No Christians there. It's hard to believe that now, isn't it? But at one time Africa was just completely pagan. Completely heathen. And when the missionaries first started going over there in the 1800s, it was dangerous. People would just, missionaries would die like within a week of getting there. It was just unbelievable. But they kept going. There were more missionaries' graves than converts at one time. But they kept going. And now there's been so many revivals in Africa. Korea. Early 1900s, it was considered a complete failure. They, they said they, the mission... Experts said, don't send anybody to Korea. There's no hope for Korea. And now there's been massive revivals in South Korea. And even in North Korea, people are coming to Christ. Read Voice of the Martyrs. China. All those missionaries spent all that time in China. Ministering and ministering and very few converts. In fact, uh, before the communist takeover, there was about one million Christians in China. Which sounds like a lot, but in China it's not a lot. That's a drop of the bucket. All that work they put in, and then the communists take over, kick all the missionaries out, 
knock all the churches down, imprison or kill all the, the, the Chinese nationals who are Christians. And finally we get back into China after the doors reopen, hoping there were a few Christians there. And they found 70 million. All those wasted seeds planted, right? I remember when I was in Connecticut, being it was a youth pastor, and there was an abortion clinic in the next town over, Bridgeport, and there was a faithful group of Christians that would go and and minister outside this abortion clinic every day, every day. And they would just pray, and they would talk to the girls walking in and saying, listen, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. We'll, we'll take your baby. We'll help you have your baby. We'll give you a place. We'll do anything to help you. And they would just try really hard to try to encourage the girls. It wasn't this big confrontation and people shouting, although in time the clinic brought people out that did that. I could tell you stories. We call them the death scorts. They call them the escorts. We call them the death scorts. Uh, and, and we would, and I remember just being, I got my teenagers together, and like once a month we would go and make that one of our activities, to go and, and pray outside there and try to talk to the girls. And, and they named, our teens named the event Truth. Teens Rescuing Unborn Tiny Humans, they named it. It was hard to see so many girls go in there. We knew some of them. We knew some of them. Some were from churches. And we, it was really hard to watch so many girls go in, but every week, a couple of girls would change their mind. And they wouldn't go through it. They would go off with us, with the, our team, and they'd go to a crisis pregnancy center and, and keep their babies. And many of them prayed to receive Christ. Every week, uh, every week, at least one of the ladies would accept Christ. And, but I just remember being there and just praying, God, please, knock down the walls of this place. Not when anybody's in there, but overnight, can they just knock them down, you know? And I just remember praying, just a crack. I just want to see a crack. Hoping. Knowing what was happening in this place. And, but... In time, I moved on, but I kept in touch with the group that was running it. They would send me the reports. And every week, couple, a couple, uh, a, a, a woman would accept Christ, and every week, a couple of babies would, would do it. And, and think about that. In a year, that was 50 women who became Christians and 100 babies that were saved. And the last count I had, they had done this for years and years, 2,000 babies, and 1, 000, 2, babies were saved and 1,000 women accepted Christ because of that faithful, faithful ministry. And 20 years later, it just happened a couple years ago, 20 years after this, I got the message from them that they, the place finally closed. It closed. They weren't making enough money. It's all about money. It's not about freedom and women's rights. It's cold, hard cash. It's money. 
Just like slavery was about money, abortion is about money. And brutal. But it finally closed. God had blessed that faithful ministry after all that time. A lot is happening that we cannot see. The battles that we're fighting are invisible battles. They're spiritual battles. Ephesians 6.10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are fighting a spiritual battle. We are assaulting the gates of hell. Understand something. When you, when you are fighting your spiritual battle of faith, patience, perseverance, you're assaulting the gates of hell. Even when nothing is happening that we can see, every time we obey in faith, something is happening. I think of Chuck Harrison and his ministry out on the streets or at the college campuses or, or out in the at the beach, and so many people he talks to. And wouldn't you love to see hundreds come to Christ every week? It'd be awesome. You see some, but it's a small number. But he's still out there. A lot of you've been out there with him as individuals and teens. And, and so many times you're just like, feel like you're banging your head against the wall, right? And you are banging your head against the wall. It's a Jericho. And, and wouldn't it be great to just see the fruit? But, but something is happening. Who knows what God is doing as they share the gospel with hundreds and thousands of people? Who knows what is happening? By faith, we just trust God. I was reading the news this morning. I, I never read the news Sunday morning, but I was up earlier than usual. And I, I, I read the news, and I saw this article, and I'm going to read it to you. Just, I just was like, that's exactly... This is by Joshua Rogers. He's a columnist, and he said, Opinion, I'm glad that lady forced the Bible on me. The other day, I arrived at the bus stop where four Asian ladies were indiscriminately passing out New Testament Bibles. When one of the ladies offered me a Bible, I tried to decline, but she was insistent, (laughs) so I tried to change the subject. What church are you with, I asked. She said she was with a non-denominational evangelical church and again offered me a Bible. Thanks, but I already have one, I replied. That's okay, she said. This one has footnotes. Take it, it's free. I realized (laughs) there was no sense in trying to tell her, (laughs) this is so funny, that my Bible also had footnotes. It was going to be easier to take her Bible. (laughs) than to repeatedly turn her down. So I took it and the track that she gave with it. When I got home, I put the Bible in our entryway where it sat for a month. Finally, my wife asked me to do something with it. You can't just leave it sitting there, she said. I decided to take it with me to work. I figured that on my way, I could leave it in a public area where it might just end up with someone who needed it. I walked to my bus stop, but because of a traffic jam, I jumped on a different bus than my regular one. After paying the fare, I set my briefcase down and opened it, to put, opened it to put the Bible inside. A young mother
with two little girls was sitting next to me. And she asked, is that a Bible? Yes, I said. Are you giving it away? Yes, I am, I said, surprised. Can I have it? Sure you can, I said, giving her the Bible. Then I flipped through the pages of the tract the Asian woman had given me, and it was a guide on how to read your Bible. You'll probably need this too, I said, handing it to her. Then I asked, just curious, are you a Christian? Yeah, she said, but not a very good one, which opened the door to a good conversation about how Jesus is the only one who can make us good. A day later, I think back on the Bible exchange and the marvel at the perfect timing required to get into this young, get it into this young mother's hands. And it all happened. Because a bold Asian lady was willing to shove a Bible into my hands a few weeks earlier. That lady had no idea what she was doing. But in his sovereign plan, God did. We have this idea that doing something significant for God requires huge planning, red letters in the sky, a parting of the sea, signs and wonders. But the truth is he's working through us in ways we could never arrange on our own. Maybe it's something that looks fanatical, like aggressively handing out Bibles. Or maybe it's something mundane, like being friendly to another person on a bus. Regardless, life is full of holy mystery when we walk in faith. Recognizing that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. How is God testing us? How is God testing you? Are we faithful? Even when we don't see the reason for the call, even when we don't see the reason for the command, even when we don't understand God's reason for this trial, whether it's a job or whether it's a boss or whether it's a temptation in our life, are we going to still be faithful? I remember being at a Love One Out conference. A lot of folks in our church went to that when we first started this church. It's a, it's a focus on the family, does it to help people understand how to minister to people struggling with homosexual temptation. And obviously, being here in New Hope, we knew we were going to need to be equipped for that. And one of the speakers, I'll never forget, he spoke, and, and almost all the speakers came out of the lifestyle, and he was, he was talking about how when he was a young man... He prayed that the temptation would just stop. He wanted to have a relationship with God, but he knew it was blocking his relationship with God, living a homosexual lifestyle. He said, God, please just stop the temptation, then I'll, then I'll stop the life. Then he realized that God was calling him to stop the sin, to obey in faith, to persevere. And we can connect this to any temptation, can't we? To persevere. Then, once he stopped the sin, 
he began to understand the issues in his life because he didn't have this sin in the way and he had a relationship with God starting and, and he began to understand the issues in his life that made him vulnerable to homosexual sin. Then the walls began to come down. Then he started to find his healing. And it's the same thing with any sexual sin, isn't it? Or any addictive sin. It's the same thing. That's the progression. John 8, 31. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Are we faithful? Are we patient? Or are we complaining and whining? <laughs> are we, do we become impatient and we turn to human means? And we take shortcuts? And the problem with taking shortcuts, I don't know if you find this, but the problem with taking shortcuts is they usually turn into long cuts. <laughs> we usually end up lost, don't we? It's very important to, be that, to keep that patience. Romans 12, 12 talks about this when it says... Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's a great verse. Will we persevere, being patient in affliction? Will we persevere knowing that we may not see the results till we get to heaven? A lot of times God lets us connect the dots here, but sometimes we don't see it till we heaven. Till we get into heaven. Maybe you're a teenager in school and you're like, why am I taking these classes what's the point or in college what's the point will you keep on studying and doing your best maybe it's a sport why do I keep running and doing all these hard things will we keep on persevering recognizing God's working in our life in some way taking a stand at school maybe you're a mom here and you're saying what am I doing changing the thousandth diaper what am I doing with the terrible twos or this teenager has become an alien. I don't even know them anymore. Dads, maybe you're like so tired, but will we, you come back home and still serve your wife and still serve your kids? Maybe it's marriage. You've, you've hit the wall in your marriage. And just like a marathon, you hit that 20-mile mark, and it's like so hard to break through. And you've done that in 20 years of marriage. And, and but see, but by God's grace, I'm going to persevere in this marriage. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe you're on the sound team and you're like, what are we doing? <laughs> there's always gremlins in that system. Every week there's gremlins somewhere. They, they get into this, you know. Or, or maybe it's worship, you know, the worship team. Or maybe it's the nursery. Why am I sitting in the nursery? You know, maybe it's junior church or youth group. You fill in the blanks. Whatever ministry God has given you. What, maybe it's will we persevere no matter whether we see results or not. Romans 12, 12, be faithful in prayer. Galatians 6, 9, I'm going to add that to it, where he says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Put those two verses, they got to memorize them, but put those two verses together and we have prayer plus perseverance equals God's purpose. Prayer plus perseverance equals God's purpose purpose. And next week we'll see that the walls come down. You know the rest of the story. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. You know the song, right? But it took prayer and it took perseverance. It took that obedience in order to see God's purpose. 
even when we can't see the results. We may never, not till we get to heaven. Even when we can't see the results, will we, will we persevere in prayer? I'm going to just finish with this one story. It's one I've never forgotten. read it years ago. There was a missionary called J.O. Frazier. He ministered to the Lisus in China. That's the same group that Bill Simon had originally tried to minister to before he was marched out of China by the communists. And he, when he got there, this was beginning of the 1900s, I believe, he realized that he was the only missionary to this tribe. He would be the only one. There's no more coming. He was up in the mountains, and there's these Lisu tribes, and he knew he would be the only one. So he said, God, <clears throat> there was two tribes. There was a north tribe, northern tribe, and a southern tribe. He said, God, what should I do? Which tribe should I? I can only go to one. Which one should I go to? And he sensed God speaking to him, saying, both. I want you to pray for the southern Lisus from sunup till noon, and then you're living with a northern Lisus tribe. I want you to minister to them from noon till sundown. And this became the pattern of his life. For years and years, he prayed half the day for the, the one tribe. And then he, that he had never even met, he prayed for them. And then he evangelized the tribal group around him. And the, and the group he was working with, it went very slowly after a, a decade of, of ministry, <clears throat> he had about 100 believers, a couple hundred believers. After many years out on the mission field, he went to one of the uh, outpost villages that was between the two tribes to get some stuff and to kind of rest up. And while he was there, he heard someone speaking Lisu, but he could tell it was a different dialect. And he went up and he started talking to the person, and sure enough, it was from the southern tribe. A guy from the southern tribe. And he, he started talking to him and he shared the gospel with him. And the guy accepted Christ very quickly. And then he, uh, he spent several weeks. This guy was illiterate, couldn't even read or write. He spent several weeks explaining the gospel very clearly. Explaining what the Bible teaches. Explaining so many things to him. He, he went, gave him as many Bible stories as he could. He said, God, please help him to remember as much as possible so he can share this. And then he, he parted. He went back to the northern tribes where he started to pray. Same as always. Sunrise till noon. And then he did his ministry, his ministry, uh, from noon till sundown. He didn't know what happened, but he kept praying and kept praying. And then years later, a delegation of the southern Lisus arrived at his village. They found him. They reported the news that Thousands of southern Lisus had followed Christ and were in desperate need of someone to come and teach them more and to bring a Bible. They didn't even have a Bible. He realized that his prayer from sunup till noon accomplished far more that praying and persevering in prayer accomplished far more than his his ministry with the northern tribe the rest of the day for years and years will we persevere in prayer in obedience even when it seems like nothing is happening let's pray 
as we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? Maybe you came in really tired, really discouraged. <laughs> Maybe you came in beat down, ready to give up. Because what's the point? Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. Except we're just getting more tired. But I pray that now you realize something is happening. Faith and patience and perseverance. Something's happening inside of us, being forged in our spirits. Will you persevere in prayer? Whatever area of life the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about right now, will we persevere in prayer? Obedient faith. Trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. Believing that he is doing something through our faith and faithfulness. And while we're praying about that area of life that God is bringing to mind, that Jericho standing right in our way. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, our Joshua. Maybe you're here today and you have a Jericho of sin in between you and God that's blocking a relationship that has to come down. It has come down. Jesus knocked it down when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. He made a way. It's not something we can do. We can only put our faith in him. Maybe today is the day that you see this wall of sin come down and you start a relationship with God as your father. By putting your faith in Jesus. Right where you're sitting. Right where you are right now. You can pray the prayer of faith. Say God please. Forgive my sin. Forgive my rebellion. Take my shame. My guilt. I repent of my old life. I come to the cross and put my faith 
in Jesus. My trust and my hope in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. God already knows. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is now inside of you. Your eyes are going to be open. The Word of God is going to be alive. It's going to be a fire to your heart, into your mind. I want to encourage you to let somebody know so that we can encourage you and, and help you in your new faith. Tell me on the way out. Tell someone. Let somebody know you've taken that step of faith. For the rest of us, I, if there's something that you're battling that you need encouragement, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Talk to me. Talk to Kim. Talk to anybody in this church. We'll all help you. We're all in the same place needing God's mercy and grace. Father, I pray that each one of us would go out with hope, even when it seems like nothing is happening, that we would know that you are accomplishing your purpose in our life. I pray you give us encouragement to persevere in faith. Pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage us and fill us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen.